Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning and welcome to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Matt, and I'm just so glad you're here with us today in person, online. Uh, Sorry about last week. I know it was kind of a bummer not being able to be here together, but we're so grateful that we've been able to deal with those issues and get everything cleaned up. But if you didn't get a chance to tune in, we kicked off a brand new series called Signs. And what we're doing is we're talking about the signs and the, the miracles that Jesus performs while on earth that lead us to a greater purpose, right? They prove to us and give us evidence and show who Jesus actually is and and that he was the person he claimed to be when he came here. And the foundation of what this series comes from or where this comes from is in John chapter 20, verse 30. You're going to hear this a lot the next couple weeks. It's John saying this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Okay, so the purpose in all of these things that Jesus has done, one of those purposes are to prove and to show and to demonstrate to us who Jesus actually was and what he did in in his life while on earth. And so last week, what we did is we talked about the miracle where Jesus turned water into wine. And the conclusion we drew was that God is a God of more than enough. That even at our weakest and and darkest and the moments where we feel the most empty we possibly have felt, that God will fill us back up and fill us up to that fulfillment, the place where we have all we need. And so we learned a lot about faith. We learned about what that looks like. We learned about some practical things. And, And so Jesus, he finishes this first miracle. And remember, we talked about the conversation between Mary and Jesus and how Jesus is like, hey, if I do this, then my ministry starts now. This is essentially, this is going to be my road to the cross over the next couple of years as I start my ministry. And so he goes on these little road trips, right? He starts going from village to village, from place to place. And, and as he's at these places, people start following him, right? We know a lot about the followers, like the 12 or a couple people, right? But, but what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is that there's moments where there's tens of thousands of people who will follow Jesus, listening to him talk, watching him perform these miracles and signs, Because a lot of them were like, hey, we've seen people claim to be the Messiah come through here before. Let's figure out if this guy's the real deal, right? And so they're watching him. They're learning from him. They're, you know, a lot of them would bring their sick to him. You know, think about a miracle worker, right? If you were sick or had something wrong, wouldn't you want to follow this guy and see if he can do for you what he was doing for other people? And so there was two main things that you'd see in in the gospels is that Jesus would heal people right on the spot. Right? So he'd go somewhere and someone would come up to him and say, hey, I've, I was born with this or born with that or I can't see or you know, someone's sick uh, and they would bring that sick person to Jesus and he would heal those people. Or they would say, Jesus, come back to my house. And oh, you're here doing your thing, but come back to my house. Come to my mother's house. Come to my family's home and, and heal the person who's sick or, or come back and do something amazing, a miraculous thing in my life. And so those were the two main ways that Jesus operated during his ministry when it came to signs and wonders and miracles. However, there's like maybe one or two spots where Jesus does it a little bit different. And the second sign that we're going to look at this morning is one of those moments where Jesus kind of flips the script and does things differently than he normally does. And I think John includes this sign in the Bible to to show us how different that is and really the purpose and meaning of why Jesus did it the way 
he did. So to better understand this, we've got to do our best to dive back into what it would have been like to live during this time period. You know, it's always helpful to give us a better perspective of what it would have been like for these people. And so the, Jesus came at the, you know, at the height of the Roman Empire, right? If you remember back to history class or Roman civ, he took that in college. He comes during this time period where uh, the quality of life of anyone born, like if you were born in that time period, your life would be determined by two things, how much money you had and what kind of power you possessed, usually from a political standpoint. Okay, And so for money, if you had enough money, then you, you could essentially buy whatever you want to buy. Right? There were no limits on what you could have. You had access to, not only did you have access to food in general, but you could have the best food. You had access to the best entertainment. You had access to the best medicine, the best doctors, the best specialists. There was literally nothing that you couldn't buy if you had enough money back in this culture. The second thing was that political power. Right, if money could let you buy anything you want, the political power could let you do whatever you want. You could essentially get away with any, anything if you just knew enough people or you were high enough on the ladder where your actions would be irrelevant to you know, us normal people, right? And so all of this was held together by the family unit, right? It's a little different back then. It's kind of harder to understand. But, but, but when you look through the Bible, you look through history, you see that most Things of what you would have, possessions or power, were handed down from your parents and, and their parents and their parents, right? And so when it came to money, you know, you, people didn't like make it rich back then. They were born into richness, right? Like people didn't run for political office back then. They weren't really elected. They just were born into that royalty. They were born in, in, into that nobility that we often read about, and so it was held together by this family unit that would pass these things down from generation to generation. Even in the Bible, we see this when it comes to faith, right? Like you look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Those are, you know, a father and a son and his son and his son. Not only would they pass down possessions, but they'd pass down blessings, right? Blessings that God uh, spoke over Abraham, he'd pass down to his son and they'd pass down to his son. And, and it's the generational blessings that we'd see in the Bible. So this was a really big deal back then. And that meant that parenting was a lot different back then than it was today. I mean, it was harsh back then. You know, today, like, we make deals with our kids. Right? Like, we compromise, we barter with our children. Back then, it was like, clean your room or you go to the basement for three days. Right? There was no, there was no questioning your parents. Like, they were pretty hard. There's, there's stories of, like, parents, not in the Bible, but stories in history of parents just ignoring their kids for, like, three or four months at a time. Right? And, and it's so different. Like, now I think about my kids and I'm like making deals with my four-year-old. I'm like, dude, if you just, if you put a shirt on, I'll let you play video games for 20 minutes. Like, just, just put clothes on. That's all I'm asking. Like, if you clean your room, I'll give you 30 minutes. Like, get, give me something here, right? And so, so we make deals a lot different back then. Parenting was a whole different game back then. But if you were a parent raising kids back in this culture, your main goal was to raise your children, more than likely a son, to just do what you did. They would inherit your life. So if you had a lot of money, you would raise them to handle that money and, and learn how to use it and save it and, and make more of it. If you had a political position, you, they would inherit that position most likely. And so a lot of their upbringing would be, how can you learn and teaching them what you do? And, and, and they would give them your life basically when you pass. And so the story that we see in the Bible, the, sign, the second sign, we're introduced to a family 
And, and what we know about this family is not too much of the details, but we know that there's at least a father and a mother and one son. And, and it doesn't say how this happened or what events led up to this moment, but, but the son, he gets really, really sick. I mean, to the point where it's beyond just like a common illness. And so, like I said, you know, they had a lot of money, a lot of political power. They had a lot of access to the best doctors, medicine, medical treatment, and different things going on. And so, you know, they start trying all these things out. And they try to, to help this kid, their son, to get well. There's even a rumor of this guy in a village, you know, not too far away, who's performing miracles that, that might work on his son. And, and just to be honest with you, someone of this political stature and power and have this, the person that had this kind of money, it would have been an absolute joke to do that. Right? They didn't really consider you know, religious things like this something that they should really go after. Sure, they had their gods and all these different things, but the understanding for this level of person was that religion was for poor people because poor people need things. We don't, right? Now, we've got power. We've got money. We can do anything we want. So they thought it would have been an embarrassment. It would have been mortifying to leave your house to, to go ask some religious leader for help because then that meant you can't help yourself. And so they're doing their thing, right? They got the essential oils. They're trying their thing. And so nothing's working. Like nothing's working. And, and they get the news that every parent dreads to get from a doctor. We're out of options. There's nothing more we can do for your little boy and it looks like he's not going to make it. And so that's where we pick up this story in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And here's what it says in verse 47. When this man, talking about the father, the nobleman, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So what we see from this dad is, I, I don't care who I am, I don't care what position I hold. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care if this causes me to lose the influence that I have, the power that I have, even the money that I have makes me look like a fool. I'm a desperate dad trying to do whatever I can to help my son get well because it's not looking good. And so the Bible says he leaves his house, probably with an entourage of other religious people or uh, royal people of high positions, and they travel to where Jesus is rumored to be. And so they get there, and, and let me just paint this picture. This wasn't just like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This would have been probably a dozen or more people coming with this royal guy, the father, and, and quite possibly tens of thousands of people around Jesus as they're trying to learn from him and watch him do all these things. So this is a huge event that is taking place, and they see this royal guard coming, this royal man coming, and he comes to Jesus, and he gets down on his knees, and he starts begging Jesus to come home with me and heal my son. He's like, my son is sick. Come back to my house. Come with me. I've heard you can you know, do miracles. I heard you can heal people. Come back and heal my son. And here's what Jesus says as a response in verse 48. He's saying this to the Father and to everyone around. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Right? So it's almost like Jesus is, is rebuking them right? That he's, that he's almost not yelling at them, but you're looking down and saying, you know, you guys, that's all you want is miracles. You want signs, you want wonders. And unless you get them, you'll never believe. And I'll just be honest with you. When I read that this week, and maybe that's because I'm a dad, um, th that's confusing. 
Like that kind of bothered me a little bit because that's not the Jesus that I felt like I knew. And it would be really awkward to be the dad in that situation, begging him to heal your son. And then he says something like that, unless you people believe or you've seen signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And so I try to dig deep this week of what's, what's going on here, because isn't that also the point? Right, the series that we're doing is called Signs, and I just read you the verse in John 20 that, that these things, these signs, these miracles are, are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Isn't, isn't a sign the point? Isn't that going to help me believe in you? And I get it, I understand. Like you look at this from a, you know, a higher perspective and, and probably you know, when you first read this, you think, well, he's getting to faith, which he kind of is, right? He's getting to the idea that, that you can't base your faith in just signs and miracles and wonders because that's what you can see. That's what you can verify, right? And what we learned last week is faith is much different. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see, right? So faith is... Is, is trusting in Jesus based on things that we can't necessarily see, not the things that we can touch in front of us. I get that. I'm sure many of you also get that as well. But does this look like a dad who's struggling to believe whether or not God is real? Like, do you think it comes to Jesus and is like, you know, I don't really believe in you, but if you show, show me a cool sign or some miracle, then maybe I'd believe. No, I, I don't think this dad even cares. I don't think that's a, he probably doesn't even know who this guy is. Doesn't know whatever, everyone else might be watching to see if he's the Messiah. He just needs help because his son is about to die. And so he's begging Jesus, please help me, help my son, come back to my house and heal my son. And so what is Jesus getting at here? Like, what does he mean when he says this? And here's what I think it is. It's learning number one. Just because you don't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. You know, I think that what Jesus is communicating here is that faith is really hard when we can't see the things that God is doing behind the scenes. That it's really hard to believe that God is doing something he says he'll do when we really don't have a way of confirming that with our visual sight. We can't touch it. We can't see it. Sometimes we can't feel it in life. Did you ever get to a spot where you just, you know, you know the promises, you know what God says, he's going to provide for us, he's, you know, he's going to provide what we need, he's going to protect us, and then you look at your own life, and you're like, well, you're not really protecting me, you're not really providing for me, it doesn't seem like he's doing what he says he's, he's supposed to be doing. I think what Jesus is saying here is that just because you don't see God working in your life doesn't mean that he's not. Like, have you ever had a moment where, like, you, you didn't realize that there was something in front of you? Like, you couldn't see something that was literally right in front of you? And I don't mean that in, like, some spiritual figurative way. I'm just, I'm like, physically, have you ever, like, oh, I never noticed that was there, or I didn't see this, and maybe something was in the way, or something was distracting you, or, or maybe it was just, like, a vision problem, right? Um, a, a couple years ago, my wife uh, was going to a, like, a vision doctor, whatever you call him. But like she was going for a checkup, right? We had just given birth to our firstborn. Um, and so he was a newborn. And so uh, this was before COVID days, obviously, so we could all go together. And so I decided, you know, I haven't had an eye exam since like ninth grade. And so I figured I would go and do one of these things. And I'd always prided myself on 2020 vision, baby. 
Like, I'd never need glasses, never had, I never had problems, was always super coordinated. And, and that became like my man card, right? Like, oh, I got 20-20 vision. My parents, they used to call me eagle eye, okay? Because if they'd lose something, they'd ask me, like, can you come find it? Like, there's a screw in the grass, we can't find it, so I'd find it in two seconds, boom. I was good. And so I figured I'll go with her, just, you know, to prove that I have better sight. And so we go together, and she does her whole thing. She does the test, and so I'm sitting there with Wyatt. He's in his little carriage thing, and, and so it's my turn to go up there. And so there's nothing special about this thing. It's just you sit in the seat, they turn the lights off. You know, you've been to these where they put the letters on the wall, and then you're supposed to read them. And so he sits me in the seat, turns the lights off, and he's like, all right, can you please read line number four? And I was like, sure. Uh, X-P-L-F-D. Okay? And so I went, went to go, like, smirk at my wife, like, perfect. And she's just, she's got some weird look on her face. No one says anything. The guy's just like, okay, he's messing with some things up here. And he's like, okay, can you read line number three now? And I'm like, sure. L-F-B-M-Q. Again, nothing. No one's saying anything to me. He's adjusting some things. And and then he's like, can you read line number two? And I said, sure. Uh, W-F- Z-B. And I kid you not, my wife out of nowhere is like, oh my gosh, you drove us here. (laughs) Okay, apparently I had missed almost every single letter on this vision test and apparently figured out that I was almost legally blind at this point. (laughs) And so, you know, that was kind of a crazy thing. You know, I had to get, they had to, you know, put all those lenses in front of you and you get the prescription. You know, some of you, if you wear glasses, you know what that's like. And and so, you know, we laughed. My wife drove us home. And so I had to order glasses, get my prescription, you know, the whole thing. And so, and the problem is, right, you don't know you, you can't see until you know you can't see, right? It's not something that just happens overnight. You wake up and you're like, I can't see anything. Like this progressively happens over time. And then one day you're just like, I'm fine, you know, like you, right? And so, you know, I get the prescription, I get my glasses ordered. And so it takes like two weeks to get them in. I go to pick my glasses up. And this was like one of the the most vivid memories I have. I put those things on and it was like a new world opened up in front of me. I mean, have you ever, like the moment you got an HDTV for the first time, like you went from the big box top and you finally got like the 1080p or even the 720, you were like, this is amazing. Look at all this, this detail. Like I got home, my wife had to think I was high on something because I was like, babe, have you seen the grass? This, it's so green. And I, we have two dogs, Yellow Labs, and I was like, Lindsay, look at Journey. Look at the detail on her, on her fur. Like, I was blown away. It was a whole new world for me, and I didn't realize that's what existed in life. I just thought I was seeing what was actually there. And it's so possible for many of us, even in a spiritual way, to live lives not knowing the whole time that there's things going on all around us. We just can't see them. That like in this story, God's doing things in our lives that we, we can't see them, so it's hard to believe that it's happening, but it doesn't mean that God's not doing those things. I think what Jesus is saying here to this father and to the people around that, that it's possible to go throughout your life missing really important things that God is doing all around you. And I think what he's saying here is, is that faith, if you, you were to look at it like Uh, you know, a tool, right? Faith is like a lens that gives you the ability to trust God that he's working in your life even when you don't have the tangible evidence that he is. 
I think what we will realize in life as we keep going on in our faith and growing in our faith is that there are certain things that God is doing that we just don't see. And then all of a sudden one day we're like, whoa, so that's what that meant. That's what you were doing. I heard this said once that God's probably doing 10,000 things in your life at this moment, but you could probably only see three of them. God is working in your life. If you have faith in God, God is working in your life. You can be guaranteed of that. And so he's telling this father, he's telling the people around that, yeah, it's really hard to believe in God. It's really hard to trust God when you can't see. But here's the, the next thing we learn. It's learning number, number two. You don't need to see the results of what God is doing in order to trust that he's actually doing it. That we don't need, we're not required to see those things. Part of faith is trusting God that he's doing those things behind the scenes or in the background. And he goes to prove this principle right away. In verse 50, he says this, go back home, talking to the father, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. I mean, that's unreal. Like, so, so Jesus says, your son will live, he's going to be well, and so the, the Bible says the guy just turns around and goes. Right? No questioning Jesus, no ad, are you sure? Like, if it was me, I'd be like, listen, can you write a letter just for my wife to let her know <laughs> that this is what you said to me just in case? <laughs> right? There's no cell phones back then, you can't text someone, there, there was no mail system, there was no pigeons you could send back to your house to make sure that, that this was true. This guy had to literally take what Jesus said and trust what he said, and the Bible says he does it. Jesus says, your son will live. And so this guy turns around and he goes home. Verse 51, it says, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Right, that's amazing. Right, Jesus performs this miracle, this sign, and this guy goes home and he can confirm what Jesus said was true actually was true. And I don't want you to miss this, this last verse here, if you want to throw that back on. It says, so he and his whole household believed. Meaning that as a result of seeing what God had done, what Jesus had done, that he and his whole household believed. Now, if you look at the whole story, and there's nothing on the screen here for this, but, but you'll notice something interesting because I thought he believed when Jesus told him, right? Here's what verse 50 says at the end. The man believed what Jesus said and then started home. So did he believe there or did he believe when he came home and he saw it? I think this is something really important. I don't want you to miss this. It's learning number three. Even a little faith can make a huge difference. Just a little faith can make a massive difference in your life and in my life. One of the biggest misconceptions of Christianity is that if you want to see God work, if you want God to do amazing things in your life, then you've got to have faith that's like up here, right? You've got to know the stories. You've got to memorize the verses. You've got to come to church every week. You've got to, mem- you, you got to serve. You've got to give. You, you've got to be amazing at obeying God. You can't, tr- you know, you can't struggle with anything. You've, you can't doubt. You, you've got to have everything in a row. And if that happens, then God will work in your life. And what we'll come to find out is the longer you live as a Christian, if you're a believer, you'll realize that's not true. That even just a little faith is enough, the Bible says, to move a mountain, right? To do something in your life where God shows up in a really big way. Even just a little faith goes a really long way. 
And I think the story of this man demonstrates that, that there are different levels of faith that we can be at in life. That, that it doesn't have to be, you know, you got to be way up here, but there's moments where you take that one small step towards God, towards faith, and you're able to watch him do some amazing things. I think you could say there's maybe layers of faith or a progression of faith in life, and we see that laid out in this story, and it starts at the very beginning when this man believed that God could, right? That's sort of like the first step of faith that we see. God can do it, and that caused him to leave his house, to possibly face embarrassment or other people. Maybe he lost influence or lost a position or he was just laughed at by people because he was going to some religious guy to get help because he couldn't help himself. And so he takes that first step of faith believing God can. God could do this. And then the story goes on, right? And, and you see he meets with Jesus and he asks him for help and Jesus says, okay, your son will live. You can go home. And so he shows not only does he believe God could do it, but he believed that God would do it. And that's the faith that he turned around and left. He believed, I know God can, and I truly believe God will. And then that third place he got to is when he took that final step where he, he came home and he could verify everything that Jesus said was true and his son was well and realized that God did it, that God did do it, what he said he would. You know, I don't know where you are. I'm sure most of us are on very different spectrums of faith. But maybe you're here and you're like, I, don't, I just don't know about this whole God thing. I'm really not there yet. I'm not really where, where a lot of other people are when it comes to faith. And maybe your first step that you need to take this morning is going from where you are to just believing that God can, that God could that it's possible for God to show up in a way in your life. Maybe there's struggles you have. Maybe there's something you're going through right now and you just need to have the faith that God can. Or maybe you've been a believer for a while or for a little bit of time and, and you firmly believe God can do things in your life. You just don't think he will. You believe God could do things. You just don't think he would do things. And usually that's rooted in a lot of disappointment. That's rooted in, you know, being let down by other people, being let down even sometimes by God. Maybe it's being let down by a church or a pastor or a person who claimed to be a believer or just a friend in general. You were let down so much and you faced so much disappointment that you just don't believe God will do anything. Sure, he can, but will he? Or maybe you're where I found myself this week and and you believe God can, and you believe God will, but you've missed out on remembering the moments where God did. The Bible teaches us that not many people in life, especially these people in the scripture, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got all these Moses, people who were you know, monsters of faith that, that watched God, you literally watched God do amazing miracles right in front of them. There were certain promises that God made to those people that they went to the grave not seeing those things come to fruition. Yet the Bible says that even in the midst of not being able to see what God had done, they still trusted that he would do it. Yet in some small instances, and, and many people have probably experienced this as well, there's been moments in your life where you know that God has showed up. You know that, that something had happened in your life where there was no other explanation than God. And, and I think this is part of why he says not to trust in miracles alone, because it's really easy to forget about those. It's really easy to forget what God has done in the past of how he's been faithful to us and, and the things he's done in our lives. And so, yeah, we might believe he can and we might believe he will, but we've forgotten to be grateful for the things he has done. 
And so hopefully this sign has showed you a little bit and given you a little bit of a glimpse into what Jesus is teaching about faith, about understanding that things are going on around you all the time. And because of faith causes us to trust in those things doesn't mean because we don't see them, they're not happening. I know it's hard. I know faith is difficult. It's fragile. But I hope that this helps you believe, like John said, and it will give you life. That by looking at these and reading these stories, it will help you find what you're looking for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything you do for us. And and even just reading these stories, it's so easy to forget the amazing things that you've done in, in people's lives, in the scriptures, but also in our lives. I know that myself personally, it's easy to breeze by those amazing moments that I've experienced with you in my past, and it's easy just to leave those in the past and forget about your faithfulness before. But it's so important for us to to remember those things because it gives us the confidence to remember that God can do amazing things, that God will do amazing things in our lives. Even if we can't see you working, even if we can't tangibly watch you doing things in our lives, we trust you that you are. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust you in those things. Maybe for you, you're that person who you just want to take that first step from going to where you are to to believing that God can. And just like this man, all you've got to do is leave the house, right? Just say, I believe he can do it, and I'm going to start the journey towards Jesus. Or maybe you know God can, and you just want to take the step of faith this morning that where you believe God will, that you're going to trust him with his words of what he said will be true in your life. God, help us all in our faith. Help us to learn from you. Help us to learn from one another. Help us to learn from what you've left us with these signs and these wonders that point to Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys so much again for being here. As always, you can go ahead and keep filling out that connection card uh, that you scanned on the the app there. There's a bunch of check boxes that if you want more information or you need something, let us know. We'd love to help you. Uh, You can give in the black boxes on the way out as well, or you can do that online. But I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for being here.